Joe, you know what? There's a lot of great things about people who drink coffee, but guess what? We found something that will soothe everybody's palate when it comes to having a good cup of coffee. Yeah, this new company that's helping us sponsor this podcast is called Trade Coffee, and they design the coffee to your individual taste. I can remember traveling across the country doing umpiring all over the country, and the coffee's different everywhere you go. The coffee in Seattle's different than the coffee in Atlanta. And I, I think the good thing about this is Trade Coffee makes your coffee so that you like it, and it's like your choice in, of how you want it to taste. And, you know, one of the things I notice about Trade Coffee is the fact that they've tested over 450 roasts, so they know exactly what they can recommend for you. And that's something I don't think anybody else has even thought about. A, 450 different tests, and B, you can have something that fits what you like compared to what you're being poured because somebody else likes it. Look, they've delivered over 5 million bags of fresh coffee with more than 750,000 positive reviews. You can't do any better than that. Hey, how about the fact that you just said deliver? Trade coffee can be delivered to you instead of you having to go out and search for it. And I think that really solves a lot of problems for people because in some cities, you may be able to find a certain coffee. In other cities, you can't. But with trade coffee, all you have to do is get it delivered to you and you're set. Right now, Trade is offering new subscribers a total of $30 off your first order plus free shipping when you go to drinktrade.com slash Joe West. That's more than 40 cups of coffee for free. And you can get started by taking their quiz at drinktrade.com slash Joe West, and then they'll let Trade Coffee find the coffee that you'll love. That's drinktrade.com slash Joe West for $30 off. How about that? Trey Coffee, everybody. You'll love it. Welcome to 5460, the Joe West Podcast. Featuring former Major League Baseball umpire Joe West. For six decades, no one has seen more baseball than Joe West. And now he shares those stories with you every week right here on the Podcast Heat Network. Now listen, uh, Joe West is asking the Reds to leave the field. I guess maybe as a form of security. Well, Joe West is not going back behind the, the catcher. So what is he doing? He, he wants to throw him out or what? He's not going to back away from confrontation. It's just not in his makeup. Who, which guy are we talking about backing away? Well, so come to think of it, hey, it's both guys. <laughs> and they're warning the Atlanta dugout now. A helmet came flying out. Bobby Potts, I don't think, threw the helmet. One of his players did. Bobby's jawing back at Joe West. But somebody's been tossed, and here comes Cox. It was Bobby Cox who threw the helmet out there. Off the umpire, oh. and that's a foul ball. Joe West gets drilled, and he appears none the worse for it. <laughs> He's a strong man. Nice. Now Joe's going to give him some argument because Mark's saying, what do you do? Joe, just get over there and umpire, will you? Yeah, 
Just get over there and umpire. No. That's all. It's 5460, the Joe West Podcast. Here's Joe West and your host, Mike Claiborne. Welcome once again, everyone, to another edition of 5460, the Joe West Podcast. I'm Mike Claiborne, and our special guest this evening is a former Major League pitcher, longtime broadcaster. He's with the Cincinnati Reds, and it's always great to visit with Chris Welsh, who may know the rules as well as anybody, including the umpires, Joe West. <laughs> I think you're right. He's, he sent me a couple of plays to look at the other day, and I, I called him back and said, what are you sending me these plays for? I'm retired. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, you got to think your way through retirement, Joe. Mike and Joe, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, thank it's you, good Chris. To see you. Well, first of all, I want to ask you, Chris. Uh, you, you do games. You've been doing it for a long time, and you truly pay attention. How did you get caught up in in watching the game so intently from an umpire's viewpoint? You know, I I, I was a very mediocre ball player when I played. I mean, I was a twenty game winner, but it took me five years to get there. <laughs> So I know how I know how tough it is to be good at, at, at the very top level. So when I watch a, a game, I tend to give the players and the umpires the benefit of the doubt uh, because it is a lot harder the farther you get away from the dirt. So most of the games that I watch, Mike, are you know up here in the third level or in the press box. I've got slow mo replay. I've got a little little strike zone box on my monitor that I can look at and. Uh, I most of the time choose not to criticize, but rather to understand and then um, explain. And I think that people appreciate that because really, ultimately, it's not my opinion whether a guy's good or bad behind the plate. It's uh, I just want to know that he's trying and that he's prepared. You know, it's a funny, funny thing you're talking about being in the press box in the third level or whoever it was. I mean, I remember working with Bruce Freming and uh, Joe Nuxall and Marty Brenneman asked him to come up do an interview before the game, right? So he goes up there. We, Dick Stello and I went up just to listen. And uh, Bruce sat down next to the seat where Marty and Joe were, and he, he said, boy, this is really a good place to judge balls and strikes from. <laughs> <laughs> he had them on their heels the whole time he was up there. And, and uh, it, it was really a classic to, to listen to the three of them go at it. Of course, Bruce – Bruce had over 5,000 games umpire, and Joe Nuxall came to the big leagues when he was like 16 or something like that. And yeah. Marty was a longtime broadcaster there, too. And it, you, you're doing an admirable job trying to replace those guys. That's that's awesome. But I, well, I, looked I, at, I don't think you replace, you know, Joe Nuxall. I mean, he, he did. He made the major leagues at age 15, which is definitely a record that will never be broken because they changed the rules on that. And, of course, Marty had been around for 40 years. And, uh, you know, regarded as one of the best ever. But I got to tell you, you know, broadcasters are kind of pinched in a tough spot because in one way, you know, you want to be entirely fair to the umpires in a crucial call. And the other way, you know, you got your fans that are listening or you're watching and they want a little bit of a homerism here. You know, <laughs> if the umpire misses a call and it goes against your team, they want you to gripe a little bit and they want you to be irritated. They kind of want you to take on the same persona that the that the uh, the manager does down in the dugout, and uh, so we we you know kind of balance that fine line sometimes between being you know critical enough and, and too critical. Yeah, I, I understand. I totally understand. In fact, some of the some of my best friends in all of baseball have been broadcasters, and uh, 
And I've had other umpires say, why do you like him? I says, well, because he's, he's a good person. And then while he criticizes this, I said, that's his job. His job is to tell the people that are watching or the people that are listening on the radio what he sees. It's not his job to be nice to you, and it's not his job to be nice to the players. His job is to announce what's going on. And until you look at things like that and you realize that that's what the announcer's doing, and, of course, the announcer's, they don't favor either side. Well, unless you're maybe Hawk Harrelson. Now, he would, he was more of a homer than anybody I knew. But uh, the, the, point, the point is, is they ha- you have a job to do just like we have a job to do. And you do it to the best of your ability, and, and we're trying to do it to the best of our ability. So I, I don't envy any part of what you have to do. Because well, you might you might have a player on the team that you think is an exceptional player and you like him very well, but when he does something wrong, you have to report that he did something wrong. Yeah. So I, I get all that. You know, I, I, I want to say one thing, though. I was reading your bio here, and the first year you came up was with the Padres, right? Correct. Yeah. And you had two complete games that year. I did, yeah. You had two I complete. So. You know, we have pitchers today – they won't have a complete game in their career because they can't pitch nine innings. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I, well, what do you think about that, Joe? Does it make it harder for an umpire to, to umpire five different guys in a game? No, no. But uh, I, I think what uh, I'm trying to get at is what we we talk about a lot on this this podcast is the pitchers aren't throwing strikes. They aren't putting the ball in play. You know, they they aren't. You know, Randy Jones, uh, when he pitched for the Padres, if if he threw 100 pitches, we were in the 11th inning. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, I just I, that jumped out at me when I, he had two complete games his first season. So yeah, you, you know, I think a lot of that has to do with how I was brought up. I mean, as an amateur player, kid, you know, that we always assumed they would say, you know, who's pitching tonight, and it would say, well, I am, meaning. It's not me and two or three other guys. It's me. Yeah, yeah. And we did that in college. And I did that in, in my, you know, my first year of pro ball. This is after I pitched probably 14 or 15 starts in college for a Division One team down at University of South Florida. Had a lot of complete games. In fact, I set the school record for complete games down there. Then I went to, to rookie ball and I had 14 starts and 12 complete games. And uh, it's not that I was that good. It was just that. We only had nine pitchers, and they didn't want to blow them unless they had to. So <laughs> it, it, it uh, you know, it was just something you assumed to do. I remember one game I gave up five runs in the first inning and still threw a complete game. So uh, it, it's a different deal now for sure. Hey, Chris, where do you think it changed? Is it the fact that uh, the agents maybe harp on the general manager about guys being overused, or, or do we have more injuries because guys throw harder so they want to conserve their – the amount of pitches. Is there any one thing you've seen that's made this game change in the manner of, of how we handle pitching? Yeah, you know, Mike, in my opinion, it's a little bit of everything. You know, number one, I think, is that uh, the analytics have proved that if you can throw harder, you've got a chance to be better. And not only your fastball, but your slider and your breaking pitch and your splitter, whatever it is, the harder you throw, you force that hitter into an earlier decision, and that's just makes it really a lot harder on him. So secondly, I think that – so in order to get 
to throw harder. You know, you go through training and they, those training, they, they work. I mean, you can see guys bump up their velocity from one year to the next, maybe five, six, seven miles an hour. Um, they're, they're eating better. They're working out. They're more, way more dedicated. I mean, you know, Joe, you know, back in the day, you, you would probably see ball players out at a restaurant and something after the game. They're, eating, they're not eating well. They're staying out late. They're drinking. And, you know, they got a day game in Chicago the next day. That doesn't happen very much anymore. So, Chris, are you talking about the umpire or the pitcher who's staying out and eating bad and everything else that comes with it? I guess well, I should start broadcasting. You always good to run into some umpires because, you know, you wanted to buy them as many cocktails as possible. But, uh, they were hard to find. I'll tell you, they were under the radar. But, you know, the other thing about the, the, the pitchers, um, we see these guys and they come out and they throw hard and everybody talks about how big and strong and how durable we think they are because they eat well and all the things you just mentioned. But why are they not more durable? Why are they looking in the dugout after the fifth or sixth inning because they're gassed? I, I think the body, human body can only take so much. And um, you know, I, I think that they're pushing the human body to the limits. They're, they're pushing the, you know, the ligaments and the cartilages and the muscles. And, you know, you see more rib cage injuries than ever before. And I think that they're just, they're pushing it because they're going max. You know, even if you go further back in time than when I played in the 80s, okay, let's go back to the 50s and 60s when my college coach was pitching. His name was Robin Roberts. Well, Robin Roberts pitched six years in a row of 300 innings or more. I mean, he'd have 25 complete games every year. And so you talk about a major change. And we've gone from having, you know, 25 games out of one pitcher per year to, you know, having 10, pit, 10 complete games in a whole season by an entire league. And um, so it, it's just a, the morph and, and the change the way that you, the athletes are and the way the baseball is. Joe, I got to tell you, it's great to have the workout anytime on board 5460 as one of our sponsors. Many of our listeners already know that workout anytime as their hometown club where they can work out on their schedule 24-7. Others might be aware that workout anytime is a great business opportunity as well. That's right, Mike. Workout anytime is one of the top 200 fastest growing franchises in the country. They've been at this for more than 20 years. And they're currently in 22 different states, and they're internationally in Honduras and Costa Rica. How about that? You know what? Opening up a gym is becoming a real big part. How about $30 billion in health and fitness industry is what you're talking about this year. Never has it been any easier to invest in Workout Anytime franchise. Joe, you know you and I are one in five American adults that have a fitness membership. Yeah, I did know that. As a matter of fact, and I'm told... That number is expected to nearly double in the next 10 years. I know these folks that work out anytime, and I have known them for a long time. They're so passionate about the industry, and their franchises rave about the support that they give the company. Well, here's a great business tip. Go to WorkoutAnytimeFranchise.com and learn more. And while you're there, you can see the map of available locations and find out how you can arrange an initial phone conversation to hear more about the proven workout anytime business model, that's workoutanytimefranchise.com. All right, I'm going to roll this question out to both you guys because you guys obviously appreciate umpiring. Um, the one play you've seen once, and also I'll back it up with the hardest play you think there is to call. 
So I'll start with you, Chris. <laughs> you know, the, the hardest play, even if, from a broadcaster standpoint or from a from an interpretation standpoint. Well, from a broadcaster who's trying to give the interpretation of what you saw. You know, what, what really confuses me about a lot of the rules, and Joe probably has this down pat, is, you know, when you start placing runners, you know, depending on whether the infraction and the runner, is it, a, is it applied at the time of the pitch? Is it applied at the time of the infraction? Is it a time the, the outfielder lets loose of the ball? Those are the things that still confuse me quite a bit. But I refer to my website immediately when I happen because I've got the answers right there. Um, as far as an umpire, I would think that one of the diff most difficult things to judge would be a check swing because it happens a lot. You see a lot of different hitters trying to fool the umpire into thinking he didn't swing. Um, and, and, there's, and the rule is written so that it's basically totally up to interpretation. Joe, what about you? Well, I, I think that's a good point, but I, I've always said this and, and that the umpire's toughest play to call is his next one. No matter what it is, it's his next one. I don't care how many you get right before you're judged on the last call that you make. So your toughest call is your next one, whether it's a check swing, whether it's a foul tip, whether it's uh, somebody catch or no catch in the outfield. But uh, I can recall this. We're sitting in a restaurant in Chicago, and uh, I think it was the Sunday night game. It was Joe Morgan and John Miller are announcing the game. And it was uh, it was a line drive hit to the well, not a line drive it was a two hopper to the shortstop but the runner on first base was stealing and he slides into second base so they don't throw it to second base they they looked over there but they didn't they didn't make a play at second base so he throws the ball to first base and he throws it away and the ball goes in the dugout. So Mike Sosia comes out to argue because he's managing the Angels. And he argues that his guy was on second base when he threw the ball away. Right? Well, Joe Morgan and John Miller are beside themselves because they're agreeing with Sosia, but they they don't know why the umpires won't let the guy score. And Eddie Rapiano is stirring some spaghetti like this. And he says, it's the first play by an infielder. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, watch this replay. You'll see. Sure enough, <laughs> two hopper to the shortstop. He looks and say he, can't, he has no play, so he throws the first. He throws it. The first play by an infielder. He can only get the two bases from the time of the pitch. So Morgan and, and, and Miller are going back and forth, and I punched a button to call Joe Morgan. And he picked up the phone during this broadcast. And I said, first play by an infielder. <laughs> and he says, John, I remember why this is right. And he says, the first play by an infielder. <laughs> and, and it, was, it was from Eddie Raffiano stirring his spaghetti. You know what I mean? So uh, those are the little things that you have to experience. And John McSherry said one time, he says, the best way to learn a rule is to mess it up. And I said, you never you forget it. Yeah. He said, if you mess it up, and it comes back on you, you will remember it forever. You will never do that again. And which is a unique thing for umpires because they umpire so many games. And, and like you were talking about, what's the one play you have that you don't see ever and all this stuff? And I mean, 
I remember we had a meeting with the umpires uh, association and uh, we were talking over rules and we brought up this play where the first baseman's holding the runner on first and he steals second base. And as he's stealing second base, they hit a ball to the right side of the infield. Well, the first baseman, because he's holding that runner on, is in front of the runner. Second baseman going to cover the bag is not in position to field the ball. So the ball has passed the fielder, and no other infielder can field it. So we came up with a consensus. All the umpires sitting in the room said, if that ball hits the runner stealing second base, he's not out. It's just in play, right? Because that's the way the rule was written, Okay. So we go to Los Angeles the first week of the season. Raul Mondesi steals second base. BGO goes to cover second. Bagwell, of course, is holding him on. Line drive hits Mondesi in the baseline. And I said, he's safe. The ball's in play. <laughs> Larry Durker had a stroke. <laughs> he's gone. Because <laughs> you, you never see this play. I mean, and when you do, the runners stop, the fielders stop, and, they, oh, he, he's out. Well, he's not out. They had the only – once we explained the rule, even Vince Scully took up for us on the air the next day because he thought the guy had to be out. And when we explained the rule, he says, no, the umpire's called right. The only people that disagreed with us when it was all said and done were other umpires because they felt it put too much pressure on him to see where the runner holding him on first, you know, was – equal to him or behind him, whatever. So we changed it where it had to be in the immediate vicinity. But this kind of play changed, changed the rule and how you, yeah. how you do it. And the, the greatest thing about baseball, the, the, the rule book originally was very small. But as things happen, you have to put things in there so the interpretation can be the same. The big, the big, thing about the rule book being small was that the umpire was going to be able to interpret things that hadn't happened before. And that's, that's the uniqueness of how all these things have evolved. Now we have a manual. Now you have a thing that's as thick as the Bible that you, you have to be correct on every little thing. I mean, there's no gray area anymore. They're trying to make everything as black and white as they can. And in some cases that's good. In some cases it's just not going to work. We, we've arbitrarily messed up the obstruction rules uh, because one supervisor wants this and another supervisor wants that. So it, it's not as consistent as it used to be in the past. But over the, over the long haul, I think that uh, for the most part, trying to get everything equal and each umpire calling the same thing, even as far as replay and the box of the strike zone, I, I think the strike zone today is more – defined than it ever was. When you started, Chris, you could tell well, Frank Pulley's behind the plate, this strike zone's this size. If Dutch Renner's behind the plate, this strike zone's this size. And and so it's evolved in a good way. I think it's I think it's helped make it more consistent. What do you think? I like, you know, now that we got you, Joe, actually I'm a guest, but I want to ask you a couple of questions since Mike brought up the rules themselves. Specifically, the two rules that are really bugged me. Um, and the one is probably easy to explain. I don't know why they don't fix the wording in the rule book is that runners laying on the way to first base. I see more big league players who have no clue about that rule. I hear broadcasters that don't have a clue about it either. And why don't they just change the rule so that 
it, you, you can run down there or, or put another base on foul territory like they do in softball so that we don't have that problem anymore. Well, when that rule was put in, and it was put in years ago to protect the Jimmy Foxes and the Lou Gehrigs from getting run into by a base runner, because these were the pivotal hitters in the lineup. They were usually third, fourth, or fifth hitter in the lineup. And baseball didn't want their star players getting injured at first base. The rule where the collision rule at home plate with the uh, – uh, was Buster it Buster Yeah. He didn't want that rule put in there because he felt like that would be a rule about him. And if if everything had happened like it should have, if he'd have caught that ball, he wouldn't have gotten hurt, but he bobbled the ball. And I relate it to like a, a wide receiver going across the middle. If he catches the ball, he can protect himself. But if he's bobbling the ball, he can't protect himself. So uh, it's the kind of thing that was made because they don't want their star players getting hurt. And I get all that. But for the, for the life of me, I, I don't understand why the batter who has played his entire life hitting the ball and running the first base doesn't know the rule himself. You know the running lane's there, so you need to get in it. But here's Especially a question for you, though, Joe. How many players do you think really know the rules? And I'll ask you that as well, Chris. Now, managers are probably a little smarter about it, but I really feel there's a lot of players who don't know page two of, of a two-page rule. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you know the rule that I think – I've seen it happen on the amateur level because I've actually advised some amateur coaches of like 16U and so on to try this. And then I asked the bench coach of a major league team about five years ago, I said, what would happen if you've got a, a an infield fly situation, you know, first and second or bases loaded, less than two outs, and a ball goes up in the infield right behind the pitcher's mound. And the umpire calls infield fly. But then the second baseman comes in and he intentionally lets a hit off the, the heel of his glove and then it bounces, you know, towards third base. And he frantically chases after it like crazy. How many players on your team from second base are going to take off running because they think that he dropped the ball? And this coach told me about half of them. These are big leaguers. And, you know, and you're, you know, you're, what you're right. About they, had a, they had a play in San Francisco, and, and Frank Robinson is managing uh, the Washington Nationals. And it was an infield fly. And uh, and they dropped the ball, and then uh, they threw the ball to third base, and the third baseman stretched like it was a force play, and the umpire called him safe. <laughs> and of course, the infield emptied onto the third base umpire, and Frank went out and ran his own players off. <laughs> if you don't know the rules, you shouldn't be arguing. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You know what? We have that play on our website. As a matter, my website. Yeah. Too, you you Chris, can Google up Frank Robinson and see it. That's that is a classic for sure. Hey, so, Chris, right, talk I, I, one, one last question to ask you, Joe, and it's not about the strike zones. I know you probably covered that a lot in your previous ones, but you know, Mike, the, the pace of the game. You mentioned uh, that there are no balls being put into play. I agree, a hundred percent. When you do get a runner on first base, you know you don't see any stolen bases anymore. I mean, the Cardinals this year have, I think, you know, one of the top stolen base teams. But you could take all their stolen bases combined, and it wouldn't be as many as they used to have when they had Willie McGee and Vince Coleman and Tommy Herb running. So, what, 
why they allow pitchers to come to the stretch and then they shimmy and they shake and they step and they step again and then they flinch and then they finally put their foot down, hesitate for a second, and then they go to the plate. How is the runner ever supposed to get a break on that? <laughs> I, I can't answer you. I can't answer that for you because the first time I remember it happened was Louis Tion in the World Series against the Reds. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and the National League umpires got together with the American League umpires and they all said, that's a balk. And the American League umpires said, it ain't in our league. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so they let it go. And uh, and that's another thing. Uh, they're not They're not actually – monitoring what should be called a balk. And uh, and that's not right. You're right. It's not fair to the base runners. But uh, I can remember talking with Lou Brock in spring training one time. And uh, he said, running the bases is easy. I don't care what they do with their hands, starting and stopping. He says, he says if the pitcher's left heel comes up, he can't throw to first, meaning a right-handed pitcher. He says if his left heel comes up, he can't throw to first base. If his right heel comes up, he's coming to first base, meaning he's going to take a stutter step and wheel and throw. So he didn't look at where the hands were, and he didn't look at all this twisting. He was looking at his heels. When he picked up that heel, then he knew he could go. And that's he simplified what he was doing to make it where I know what I have to look for, and that's all I got to worry about. And Lou Brock was one of the smartest base runners you ever saw, you know, and he wasn't as fast as say Ricky Henderson, and he wasn't as fast as Ron LaFleur and those guys, or Willie Wilson. But you very seldom saw him get thrown out. So, Hey, Joe, tell our listeners what you told me about the all-natural B1 sports performance and wellness patch that's revolutionizing sports nutrition. Fans, there's no more sugary energy drinks or extra caffeine for an energy boost. The B1 patch is fast acting, it's body heat activated and proudly made here in the United States. It's a must have if you're out on the golf course or on the go or just patching up your future major leaguers. Feel good about using this 100% all natural B1 patch from USA National Patches. It's easy to apply, worn by over 200 athletes and is the official patch of 78 division one schools. And Mike, I personally use the B1 patch for years. And they've made a, a real difference in my life. Visit buyb1.com and enter the code umpire to buy B1 and get one free. I really want you to try these, and I want all our listeners to try it. You'll be glad you did. It's the B1 patch. Don't compete without it. That's buyb1.com. Enter the code umpire and buy one and get one free. You know, he he was so technical. Willie McGee tells a story that in 1983, it was his first spring training with the Cardinals because he'd been traded the previous year. Lou Brock was our base running instructor, and Lou came out with a tape measure, a clipboard, and a stopwatch. And at that point, Willie McGee, they were going to talk about base then. At that point, Willie McGee said, I was in the wrong league at that point because I'd never <laughs> seen anybody come out with all of that. But he 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 turned it into a science and he'd look at that if, – if he saw that guy's leg bend, or as you said, Joe, watch the right heel come up, he knew what was going to happen, and he took full advantage of it. And you're right, yeah. he wasn't the fastest guy. No, he was far from it. But he was a great base runner, and uh, and, and we've had great base runners. You know you know who was a great base runner and he couldn't run at all was Pete Rose. Yeah. 
He was a great base runner. Uh, I never saw him get thrown out. Well, I did see him get thrown out, but if he did, it was to try to get a run to score. He would slide in and be called out going into second or the third, whatever. And he, the first thing he'd do is look up and say, the run score did it. <laughs> That's what he'd say. So, I mean, he, he got thrown out for reasons, you know, but uh, this is, this is uh, uh, you don't realize how technical this game can get. And uh, and the fact that you've started this uh, this uh, I I want to call it a podcast, but it's really a, a website that you've started with the rules here. I think it's I think it's marvelous. I know you got a, a lot of followers already on it because you've told me that. And so, um, so Chris, tell us about the website. Well, you know, I'll tell you where it started first because I, you know I played pro ball for 10 years, you know, five in the major leagues. And I thought, you know, I, I read the rule book a couple of times. I thought of all the players on every team I was on uh, that I probably knew the rules as well as anybody, except the, the coaches. They've been around longer than me. And uh, so I'm broadcasting my first year with George Grant and some quirky play happens on the field and we go to break. He looks at me and says, what do you think? And I'm like, I have no clue, no clue. So we find a, you know, we in the booth, we've got a rule book. We're, coming through there and sure enough we come back in 60 seconds or so and I still have no clue and I was kind of embarrassed because I had to tell the, the listening and viewing audience that I had no clue we have to wait for what's going on on the field of course back in those days there was no communication between the, the press box and the umpire so we just had to guess what was going on so I decided then I, I needed to bone up on the rules so I started a little database where I would have like slang words like ball hits runner and it would automatically take me to that rule instead of having to go to the, in the index. And so that helped. And then I started one thing to another. And then pretty soon I'm getting guys who are, you know, writing for me and I'm interviewing. Uh, I started with, uh, with a bunch of videos with Ted Barrett. We spent two days uh, taping down in uh, Arizona. <clears throat> no, this is probably eight years ago now. And uh, so I did just kind of morphed into this thing now that is, is, is too big to quit, but it's it's taken a lot of time, I got to tell you. But the benefit for me is that it's helped me learn the rules, and I, I help other broadcasters learn the rules. And I think it's – I'm not making much money on it, Mike, but I can tell you – actually, any money. But I can tell you that it's kind of my way of, of thanking the, the baseball world for allowing me to make a career out of being around baseball because uh, if, if this is what I can give back, then I'm glad to do it. What's the most discussed – rule that you see in the game the the one that maybe most people might miss and we just talked about one that we don't see it a lot so i'll ask you guys both that same question what's the most discussed rule or the one that's the the play that's missed the most i think at the amateur level the timing play is probably the one that i get most of my requests about because People can read that rule and they can still not understand what it means. And really, sometimes we're like a fourth out comes into play. And the run scores, even though the third out was made on a tag up and so on. And uh, it, it's that's a play that, that I consistently get something about that people you know want to understand. And the other thing is, um, well, let's leave it at that. that that's, that one's complicated enough. Maybe Joe can take us through and tell us what an example of that would be. Well, the the biggest thing that when you call a play a timing play, meaning does the run score even though the third out was made, run can't score if the third out is made is a force out, and a force out is when the batter becomes a runner, so everybody has to advance. So if that out is the third out, then no run can score. 
I hope that clears it up because a tag up, a tag up is completely different. Uh, In fact, you don't have to tag up to score a run. In fact, uh, the play that you showed on the, on your website last week uh, where it was the fourth out uh, the run scored because the third out was made by tagging a guy who didn't tag up and had they stepped on third base and said, we're appealing that the runner left too soon, then you would have had the fourth out and that run wouldn't have scored. But as the play happened and the, one of the best plays that ever just was ever uh, part of this was uh, Gene Mock was managing, I think he was managing the Angels. And uh, there was a line drive hit to right field. And the runner that was on first base was stealing. Well, he's already around second base when the ball's coming down. And Mock was yelling at the runner on third base, score, score now, don't tag up, score now, don't tag up. Well, the runner, he didn't leave. So he tagged up. And of course, they threw back to first base and they retired the guy before he scored. Had he not tagged up and scored before they got the third out because it was not a force play, the run would have counted. And had the infielders left the infield before they appealed that he left too soon, which would have been the fourth out, then they can't appeal once they leave the infield. And these are little things that you have to learn over time, and as we were talking about, you have to mess up a rule to learn it. But Mock was absolutely right. You know, I can remember, uh, and and this is the kind of kind of play that you rarely see, and and the fielders usually relax when they know they got that guy for not tagging up. They're not thinking about the runner on third. They're not thinking about they're thinking about getting the next out. So they relax instead of having their head in the game knowing, well, that runner on third can score, so I need to get it over there quickly. You know what I mean? But I can remember we're working in uh, Montreal, and you very seldom see a manager do something in the course of a live ball which changes the outcome of a play. Well, Gary Carter's catching. The pitch came in and bounced and hit him in the shoulder and is headed toward the Montreal dugout. Well, the runner on second – is one of the Cardinals. I, I I don't think it was Willie McGee, but it was somebody on the Cardinals, and he's going to score if Carter picks up the ball. Now, it's a pitch ball. It hits Carter in the shoulder and it's going to the dugout. Dick Williams took his glasses off. He stood up on the edge of the dugout, and he said, don't pick it up. So Carter stops. The ball goes in the dugout, and because it was a pitch ball, He can't score from second. He's got to go back to third. One of the only times in my life I've ever saw a manager affect the game while the ball was in play. And he knew the rules. And he didn't know the rules. And he was a grumpy old old guy. (laughs) He was was a good man. (laughs) You know, I'm told that he might be the most knowledgeable manager ever when it came to the rules where he, he knew every nook and cranny. Well, he was good. Well, of course, they say Mock was too, um, but I didn't have Gene Mock. But I did have Dick Williams, and I used to kick him out every year for something. <laughs> <laughs> His annual departure. <laughs> Guys, it's time to bring that summer heat back into the bedroom. That's right. Confidence can take you far in life. 
It can also help you in the bedroom, especially when it comes time to step up to the plate. That's where Blue Chew comes in. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in a chewable tablet and at the fraction of a cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead and be ready whenever an opportunity arises. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of our licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive a prescription within days. The best part? It's all done online, so no doctor's office visits, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the United States and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet package. They always say first impressions are important. What about lasting impressions? Yeah, it's time to get off the couch and back to work. If your tool needs an upgrade, you need BlueChew.com. Women say there's nothing sexier than confidence. And Blue Chew can help give you confidence where it counts. So if you can benefit from the extra confidence when it's time to perform, Blue Chew can help. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code Joe West at checkout. Just pay $5 for shipping. That's BlueChew.com. Promo code Joe West to receive your first month free. Visit BlueChew.com. For more details and important safety information, and we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring this podcast. Hey, Chris, uh, for you, I'm going to let you and Joe West be the czar of baseball for a day. Give me one rule that you'd like to see maybe tweaked, and what rule are you looking forward to seeing once it's implemented in the game within the next couple of years? Well, you know, I – if one rule is it, uh, that, that's a tough thing to, to, well, to narrow down. I'll give you two. I'll give you two for the betterment but, of the game. I, there, there, there are several that, that, that I just, from a broadcast standpoint, the very first thing that I would do is eliminate that strike zone box that you see on your TV screen. I think that even though it's really nice to know, you know, whether an umpire is pretty close to calling those balls that are on the corner, <clears throat> I still – think that by putting that box up, and I've worked with a lot of different play-by-play announcers who have not played the game, it makes that box and the ball, and the little ball going in there the most important thing in the game. And it's not the most important thing in the game. It's far, it's far from it. So I think we put way too much emphasis on, you know, he took that pitch and it, it, it caught the plate by a half an inch. I mean, you know, they were human beings. So that would be the, one of the first things I would do. Um, and I would also uh, <clears throat> curtail review a little bit. I, I, I never was a really big uh, fan of a replay review. And I think that all of a sudden, you know, now that the genie is out of the lamp, uh, it's growing and growing and growing. And, and now we're watching games where the call on the field, no matter what it is, is only temporary. It has to be sanctioned by New York and actually to be official. And it happens so, so many times a game. I think it just it just breaks up the enjoyment of watching a ball game. You know, it's interesting. Hawk Harrelson gave the same answer about the strike zone box. We had him on a show earlier, and he said the exact same thing. Yeah. Well, Joe, what I, about I you? Then, huh? Well, you know, the box is funny because there was a game the Cardinals played the other day against the Mets, and the, 
in the strike zone and the, and the Cardinal feed, the ball was outside in the strike zone and the Mets feed, the ball was a strike. So <laughs> they're, they're not using the same box. I don't care if you use the box, but make it consistent. You know, um, the, uh, the thing I despise and I despised it when they put it in before I ever got to the big leagues was a designated hitter. And I know they put it in so that Carlos Strzemski and Mickey Mantle could get a few more bats and, and it was a it was more of an attendance thing than anything else, uh, and, and I'll never forget John Montefusco when he was when he was pitching with the Giants. He says, uh, "I like the DH because their DH ain't gonna be as good as ours." And somebody said, "Why is that?" And he said, "Because he's got to face me." <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think the DH has been good for the game because uh, when they put it in, guys like Billy Martin. They they wouldn't take a pitcher out in the fifth, sixth, or seventh inning for a pinch hitter, and some of that is the reason some of these pitchers burn out because they've left them in too long. And um, I, I don't think the D. Ron Fairley made the statement when they put the DH in to Joe Morgan. He said he said all that does is give the pitcher carte blanche to throw it who he wants. And I can prove that statement's correct because when Roger Clemens got traded over to the Astros from the American league and the Astros are still in the national league. He didn't hit anybody all year because he had to come to bat. Now, and Roger Clemens, when he was in the American league, he would throw at his mother. <laughs> so I, don't, I, I've never liked the DH and I, I, I'm upset that they put it in the, in the national league. I never thought it should have been in the American league. Um, the shift, they're arguing over the shift, and I remember talking to Paul Beeston about this. I said, I said, the guy's too stupid not to hit it the other way. He deserves to get out. <laughs> and I said, when was the last time you ever saw a ball player play pepper? He says, I can't remember a ball player playing pepper while I've been in the big leagues. I said, that's where you learn to control the bat. That's where you – that's one of your teaching tools is to play pepper. I said, when Bernie Carbo – got traded from the Reds over to Boston. He learned to hit the ball off the blue monster or the green monster, whatever that is out there. I said, they can, they can adjust. They just don't. They have it in their mind. I have to pull the ball. I have to hit a home run. Well, that's not good baseball. And so uh, Beeston said to me, he said, well, how would you get rid of it? The players wouldn't let you get rid of it. I said, well, give them two more roster spots. He said, what? I said, give them two more roster spots. Two roster spots is cheaper than the DH. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, that those are my pet peeves. I, I believe that if you're so stupid, you're going to hit it into the shift, you should be out. And I, I, I've said this before to Mike. Uh, they asked Rod Carew what he would hit if they put the shift on him. He said 900. <laughs> and a lot of people don't realize Rod Carew bunted over 700. And uh, they said, why didn't he bunt all the time? I said, well, when they played in, he didn't bunt because he didn't think he could get on. But if they played back, he bunted. And uh, so they played him to bunt almost every at bat. And, uh, and, and Mike, can I add one thing to that? Sure. You know, if I'm leading the, the, the Major League Baseball for a day, I'm ensuring that any rules that I put in don't make the game look – more different than it does being played on our schoolyards and on our amateur baseball fields. I think that's one major oversight that Major League Baseball has done. And we've got so many 
technical improvements. We've got pitch com. We've got replay. We've got a pitch clock. We've got all these things that now we're going to have a robotic umpire probably someday. Uh, the game doesn't look like that when, when 13 and 14 year olds are playing. I want the game at the big league level to look as much as possible, except for the quality of play, obviously, as it does in the amateur ranks, because I think that nurtures more people to play the game and, and to recognize that we're not looking at two separate things here. You know what, Chris, you make such a good point because they're talking about when they limit the shift uh, to put markings on the field where you can and you can't go. Uh, to put a mar another mark on a field that we've been used to watching for over 100 years probably doesn't work. Well, they tried to put marks on the field. They tried to put marks on the field when they were making the pitchers step to first base, especially the left-handed pitchers to step to first base. And if you didn't step inside the line between, you know, uh, the 45-degree line and first base, then he called the ball. If your foot landed on the line, they called it a ball. That didn't last too long. So <laughs> at last and, and the pitching coach, first thing they told us to do is get out there and erase that line. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the hitters that stand in the back of the box. You know, that, that back line's gone. When Hank Aaron and those guys came to bat, that bat, that line was already gone. <laughs> so this episode is brought to you by Car Shield who makes it easy and affordable to protect my car from expensive repairs. And that's just for starters. CarShield is the number one auto protection company in the U.S. and offers protection plans for around 100 bucks a month. The plans cover more parts than ever before, whether your car has 5,000 miles or 150,000 miles. Let me tell you how simple it is to get your car fixed. When you need a repair, you choose the mechanic. And CarShield's administrators handle all the rest. That's it. You don't have to deal with the paperwork or the headaches you're taken care of. The same goes if your car breaks down and you're stuck on the side of the road. Plans through CarShield also include coast-to-coast -coast roadside assistance. CarShield administrators are there for you with rental car options and trip reimbursement at no extra cost. Get coverage today and you'll lock up your price now and it will never go up. That means as long as you own your car, no matter how old it is, you're protected from the rising cost of parts and repairs for your vehicle. CarShield helps protect my wallet from expensive car repairs, and they'll do the same for you. Go to carshield.com slash podcast to start your plan and lock in your pricing forever. That's carshield.com slash podcast. A deductible may apply. So what rule are you guys looking forward to seeing? I know we we hear about the pitch clock, the uh, the bases in, being enlarged. Um, we hear about maybe the robo-umpire down the road. Is there anything in particular you think might be something worth watching? Well, you know, the one rule that I would imply, impose because it would get uh, – Hitters to hit the ball in contact more. I think strike. I think the three ultimate outcomes: the home run, the walk, and the strikeout, uh, are things that we should try to reduce. And if you can't limit a pitcher to throw slow enough that a hitter can hit him, then move the mound back a little bit and put more balls in play. I want balls in play. I watch guys take uh, infield practice every day. They do tremendous things at four o'clock in the afternoon. By the time the game gets around at seven. They may play three three games and I have a ball hit to them. And uh, I want to see 
great plays. I, I came up what, with guys like uh, Davey Concepcion and with uh, Ozzy Smith playing behind me, Barry Larkin playing behind me. I want to see those athletes making tremendous defensive plays, and we don't see enough opportunity for that. All right. Well, Chris, we really appreciate you spending some time with us, man. We've been trying to do this for a while. And first of all, tell everybody where they can check out the website because uh, it's it's got great information for people who really well, want to follow the game. Well, thank you, Mike. I appreciate that. It's called BaseballRulesAcademy.com. But if you type in Baseball Rules into Google or any other search engine, we're going to be on the front page. We, uh, we're getting a lot of traction. We're getting several thousand people a day on that site. We cover all the different levels from the little league all the way to the major leagues, uh, including some international baseball that's being played. Uh, so we're, we're, we're excited. We're trying to get uh, uh, something going with Joe where we get some of his great stories and rule interpretations at the same time. Uh, I'm going to send him some easy ones eventually, but right now I, I think that's the tough ones. <laughs> yeah, he sent me one the other day, and the umpire called it, you know, like when I was still umpired. And uh, it was whether the ball was over the line or on the line or touching the line or whatever. And uh, the kid that made the call made the correct call because the ball was over the line. And because this kid made this call and so much static came from it, baseball changed the way we call it. <laughs> so <laughs> that was one of the first ones he sent me. I said, thanks a lot. You know, <laughs> Great start. <laughs> Everybody can catch the easy hop, Joe. <laughs> Well, Chris, thank you so much for being part of 5460, the Joe West podcast. And uh, may you have a safe and uh, successful season. And we look forward to talking to you down the road, my friend. Well, Mike and Joe, thank you very much. Same to you. And uh, thanks for having me. All right. Well, He's Chris Welsh. That's Joe, that's Joe West. I'm Mike Claiborne. We thank you for tuning in for another edition of 5460. It's called the Joe West podcast. My baby took me to the ballpark to see a baseball game Lord, it had to be at least 99 in the shade I was stealing a glance at some tight short pants Just as I turned my head My baby grabbed me by the arm and this is what she said If you cheat on me, you'll be out at home if I catch you playing the field, you're gonna be long gone You better play it safe and don't do me wrong Cause if you cheat on me, you'll be out at home You've been listening to 5460, the Joe West Podcast, here on the Podcast Heat Network. Make sure to subscribe and don't miss an episode each and every Monday. We'll talk to you next week. She's checking all the signs while I'm enjoying two of the great American pastimes It's fouling up my nerve watching all these curves Remembering what she said to me And if I get caught looking it's gonna be strike three If you cheat on me, you'll be out at home If I catch you playing the field you're gonna be long gone You better play it safe don't do me wrong Cause if you cheat on me Well you'll be out at home If you cheat on me You'll be out at home
If I catch you playing the field, you're gonna be long gone. You better play it safe and don't do me wrong. Cause if you cheat on me, well, you'll be out at home. If you cheat on me, you'll be out at home.